Welcome into the Atlanta Enquirer podcast. It's Jeremy Warner, Derek Piper. After dark here, as Illinois gets a big road victory, 88-73. Derek and I back in Illinois. Joey Wagner covering us up in Michigan. He'll have all the coverage from there. But Derek, what a bounce back performance from Illinois after a lackluster performance uh, against Maryland. We'll talk all about that. But how can we not start with Coleman? Hawkins, I've never seen a line like this. 21 points, 10 rebounds, both season highs for him. Shot three for five from the three-point line tonight. Six steals, four assists, one block. I've been going with this the last couple of games, but like you watch Coleman Hawkins, and this is why I've always defended Coleman Hawkins, especially the last two years. When he's on the court, his impact is felt. He's giving me Roy Kent vibes, man. He's here. He's there. He's every freaking where. Coleman Hawkins. What do you got, Derek? Phenomenal performance. And a phenomenal reference by you. I know it was Ty Rogers that had the line. I wrote the story a week ago saying, you know, he's everywhere. And then you took that to another level. I don't know if Ty was, uh, if he's riding with us in the Ted Lasso. Um, but yeah, that's a a good comp for, for sure. Whenever you need to be, be uplifted by life, you just turn Ted Lasso on for an episode or two oh. and feel a little bit better about the world. It's a great feel-good show, one of the best out there. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of fans got to be feeling good about the basketball that Coleman Hawkins is playing right now. Just his activity is, is out of 10 and an 11. Um, Six-star performance. Is that, is that going to happen? Uh, I know that Joey tweeted at you. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't see that. Um, I have I have my grades written down. I didn't go over Coleman Hawkins with you. I went over everybody else. So we will see. But I don't want to steal your thunder. That, but, that's uh, a pretty good, pretty good guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, double double with the six steals and the assist to, to boot. I mean, he he was doing everything, and we know that he's a guy that on the perimeter is just so active and tough for a guard to get by. And I mean, he's just he's getting in the, the hand of the cookie jar, like the ability to just go in there and, and steal it, and obviously get runouts going the other way. And, and one of the issues for Illinois tonight, and until that second half, was not getting enough stops, but. Coleman's ability there in that second half to make some of those impact plays, get some defense turning into offense was a huge swing in the game. And the way he's shooting the three over the, the sample size, you know, he didn't make it against Maryland, but I mean, this is a 40 plus percent three point shooter over the last like six games, six, seven games. So Since Tennessee, he has hit multiple threes in all but one game, Maryland. I'll, yeah. I'll do the math here a little bit. When you get on a little ramble, give me a minute or two to do the math. It's It looks like it's 50%. 50% from three during that stretch, it looks like. Yeah, that's big time. That's big time. Um, and he was coming off a game. He had snapped a seven-game streak where he was in double figures and seven straight. Obviously, didn't reach that against Maryland, and, and that was uh, a tough thing for Illinois where there's just so much on Marcus Damas' plate that uh, not enough around him, both from Coleman and Garrier, who I know we're going to get to, uh, he also had a huge outing. So that front court really stepped up. But uh, And then the, the rebounding. The rebounding uh, is something that or even early on in Coleman's career was something that really stuck out is just those those energy, high energy plays, his ability to go get loose balls and obviously do the things defensively. And and now it's, it's all coming together for him. So uh, happy for him. Uh, he's stepped up huge in a big spot with Terrence being gone. He played tonight like a – like an A-level player in the league. And if he continues this, I know we, we chatted a little bit before we hopped on here. You know, uh, we'll be checking those mock drafts to see the updates uh, and see where that's going to be. So, yeah, uh, I, I love 
I, I love our guys like Jonathan Gavoni at ESPN and um, you know the guys at The Athletic do a fantastic job. I'm, I'm kind of refreshing every time they do an update. I'm like, all right, can we get, at least get Coleman Hawkins uh, in, in the second round? Because, Derek, you and I watch enough NBA um, that this is what the NBA is looking for, a guy who can stretch the floor, a guy who can switch like he does defensively. Listen, Terrace Reed got the most of him at some times in one-on-one post-ups. There's not like the NBA doesn't employ a lot of those guys. Um, and his switchability, his versatility, his ability to impact the game in so many ways. I mean, he ended up with what four assists tonight. There was a pass that didn't lead to anything, but he did that cross court pat over the head pass that I, I don't know how he got it there. Like it was one of the most impressive plays I'd seen all game. Um, those things, like all those skills are why we've thought, yes, Coleman Hawkins can play in the NBA. And now we're seeing it come a lot. Derek, what do you think? Like, is this just a senior who has wrote it out, finally all clicking? Like, I give him so much credit. His role, we didn't know sometimes what it would be. Sometimes he said things in the offseason where like, hmm, is this guy going to stay here? He has stayed here despite all these other guys transferring. And him and Brad Underwood have gotten the most out of him. Brad has coached him up, put him in a role that I think has worked really well for him. Playing the five this year is far better for him. Sorry, Dane Danger. It's gotten in the way of any of your minutes, but it, it has just been awesome to see him blossom and to see all this hard work really pay off. 100%. Yeah. I mean, there's a number of things that obviously go into it. It's is having that, that patience and just persistence to work through it and understand that. Yeah, I mean, Kofi's there for a handful of years early on, and you got to adapt around him, and you're going to adjust to what he's doing. And that, I mean, Coleman came in as a stretch four, so it's not like he was necessarily playing out of position, but uh, it was a situation where the offense was built around feeding the ball inside to, to Kofi. And, and to Coleman's credit, he was probably the team's best entry passer a lot of the times. Uh, just didn't necessarily have that that high-low dynamic you'd ideally want because Coleman wasn't shooting the three as consistently. Uh, to really maximize that uh, as far as the two-man game there. but uh, And he even told us back then, and, and it was no knock on Kofi, it was just that he, up to that point, really wasn't offensively able to show us his full game because the, there wasn't as much opportunity for him to have offense run through him. And I know last year there was some growing pains with that, and I think obviously not having enough playmakers around him uh, last season and a lot of youth – led to turnovers. And on that note, I want to mention tonight, I think one thing that uh, you can talk about a lot of stats that, that stick out here recently, especially tonight with Coleman, he had no turnovers uh, in his entire outing. And, and just in this stretch of play for him, the mistakes have been cut down so much. He's not, yeah. he's, he's not a three or four turnover a night guy anymore. And he's, he's obviously gone over that in the past, even to five and five plus, but uh, so that, those are the plays that kind of maybe could damper some of the bright spots, which they're not doing. Um, and then, you know, it helps to have some some high IQ veteran players around him. You know, the plays that Marcus is making, uh, the old man moves, uh, the cuts that Quincy's making. Those Coleman was begging for those cuts last year. Guys cutting into open space, anticipation. So he's benefiting from that too. Uh, but the three-point shot has been such a huge piece of – that NBA stock in, in particular, and, and really to make that dynamic where he's playing the five so hard for teams to to deal with. Because you saw it tonight. I mean, he, he's he's going to give up some points if the ball gets inside against a, a legit strong five man uh, with Coleman. That's just not his game. Uh, but he does 
you know, counteract things with his switchability defensively and everything he can do with the activity. And I'll give him credit. He, he's as good as I've seen in terms of that swat down when the ball gets in that painted area to, to knock it out of people's hands. But at the other end, if he's able to pick and pop you, he's able to, to see things uh, as a distributor. It's just really, really impressive. So um, he's been confident throughout. I think he, he said it, I think it was last week uh, after making the shots against Michigan state uh, that, you know, I just stopped caring. I stopped caring about, and he, we know he's an emotional guy, emotional guy. I think he, he processes a lot in his head. He, he's a guy that thinks a lot about the game and he reads uh, a lot on social media. Reads a lot about, yeah, that's a good point. And I think he just feels very comfortable in his own skin right now. And yeah, him and Brad have, have had some push pull and they've had their moments, but you know, one has been, they've both been fantastic for the other. So um, great for Coleman right now. Yeah, you mentioned the turnovers. He has seven in his last six games, um, and I believe it's eight in his last seven games. Um, So I I, I get the – sometimes you, like, lose himself, and that's why the fans would get so frustrated. I I think anybody who's like, hey, bench Coleman Hawkins before, I think they've moved off of that because what he's done is is, has been really, really impressive. And and Derek, the the leadership. You know, Terrence leaves – He's a big part of this team holding together, uh, not only on the court. Like he's a connector on the court, but I think we got to give him, you know, Quincy, obviously Marcus, those guys a lot of credit for for keeping this team together. So I think that's been a really impressive part for Coleman Hawkins as well. Appreciate all you guys on the live YouTube, more than 400 people right now. Give us a like, subscribe to us, hit the notifications bell on YouTube. Send in those super chats. We'll get to those. We'll get to some of your questions a little bit later, Derek, but this was a great response. I thought Michigan didn't play poorly tonight. Um, I thought offensively they executed pretty decently uh, in the first half, but Illinois had a response every time. And, and obviously they had the huge 17 to two run there in the second half where they just consistently got stops. Michigan missed eight straight points. It's a big buckets from Justin Harmon, Coleman King, some of those, those key turnovers that, that got Michigan stops Luke Goody, Hits a couple of big threes. Uh, Quincy Garrier was was dominant on the glass. Hit some big buckets as well. And Marcus Demas didn't have his best night, but uh, booty ball worked in certain areas. Had too many turn- turnovers, missed a couple shots. But this is just the complete performance you need. A more well rounded performance than just Marcus Demas trying to get twenty five or thirty. You love seeing a number of different guys in double figures. The fact of, I think, when you throw in, what was it, Harmon who finished with eight or Goody, you got six guys, eight-plus points. So uh, very well-rounded, the fact that you can pinpoint a number of different guys and say that they were able to to key a certain run and, and obviously defensively being able to, to get those turnovers, to get those missed shots, and they stopped giving up so many offensive rebounds. I mean, that was one thing that uh, they kind of went hand-in-hand. Hand. Michigan was getting the ball to the paint and finishing, and then when they – Maybe even weren't taking a jump shot. They were getting the the Terrace Reed offensive rebound or the Olivia Kamwa offensive rebound and put back. So uh, as they stopped giving some of those up, and I thought it was really key. I I fully expected as, as Doug McDaniel was kind of feeling his way through that game and, and had a, a few moments in the first half. I'm like, okay, he's gonna this this guy's gonna go full on. I'm gonna try to take over in the second half. And during like that eight minute stretch where Illinois goes on that run. It, W. Daniel didn't make a basket or have an assist, so they really shut him down. Uh, I thought at times he got downhill on Illinois a little bit there in the first half, obviously, but uh, they were really able to stymie him and and make things tough. So, uh, and the, the sporting cast wasn't able to do enough around him either. So, uh, Illinois making it a, a two way type of deal. I mean, it's been a 
I know Maryland, uh, they had some stretches where obviously shots didn't go down, layups didn't go in, and they they had to, to clean that up and address that. But for the most part, without Terrence, this has been a, a really efficient offense, a really well-run, uh, highly efficient machine offensively. So uh, it, a lot is to bask in the, the booty ball, and he's just poised in, the, in there and just can kind of go to work. And then uh, when Gary A and Coleman are playing like this, it just – opens everything up. So, uh, and then I should know, I know we're going to talk about, talk about him probably Ty Rogers being more aggressive around the basket. Mm-hmm. I know he, if he made some more layups, he's 20 plus points tonight, but um, yeah, it's a process though, right? Like, yeah. Like uh, there's probably got to be a balance of him of there's certain possessions. You're like, yeah, maybe a little bit too aggressive, but this is all part of the process for him of, of learning that. I just love Derek that. I mean, you have seen since Shannon has gone, he's needed to get more aggressive. They need some scoring production from everybody to up. But Ty Rogers has seven double-digit scoring performances during his career. Three have come during the last six games. Um, and, and I think that is significant. He is showing just much more confidence and aggression attacking the basket. Six of 13, most of that, of course, around the rim. So he, I'd like to get him above 55% on some of those, those attempts. But getting to the free throw line, he made three of six. I jinxed him. Uh, he had made 15 of 19 at one point. Uh, ain't no curses, as Billy Bob says in Friday Night Lights. But, um, yeah, it's great to see. And, and this is a process of him learning when and not. But you got two booty ball options right now in Marcus Damask and Ty Rogers. And the one that was most impressive to me was Rogers just bullying Olivier and Conway. Like, that's a he's not the worst defender. I don't think he's a great defender, but that's a large man that Ty Rogers kind of bully balled around. So uh, that, that's been huge. And another thing for Ty, zero turnovers. This team had just six turnovers tonight. They only have 23 turnovers in the final three games. That's going to lead to an efficient offense, Derek, where you can turn some of those possessions into you know second chance like they did tonight, 13 second chance points, I believe they had, um, and, and just being able to get the shots off. So, Ty's taking a, a big step forward. I think this is the kind of Ty Rogers we thought eventually could happen, but it's fun to watch this process for me of, of him being a little bit more aggressive early, and now all of a sudden this guy had 13 shots in a game, and uh, it wasn't a bad thing for Illinois. 100%. Yeah, and it's just something he'll probably continue to grow into. I mean, he's come a long way to get from this point, obviously where he was back in November. He was really hesitant and into December where – times where he's like open under the basket or within 10 feet, uh, maybe on the baseline with a, a clear lane to try to attack and drive it. And he's not doing it. So uh, that aggressiveness has obviously been amped up. Um, the confidence is, is coming along for sure. And uh, just to continue to build on trying to finish through contact. I know that I think some people on the, the Twitter sphere probably accurately uh, mentioning that a few more times with the backboard tie, I think they're, uh, sometimes he maybe goes for the finger roll or, or just straight at the rim, or maybe he can use the backboard a little bit more to his advantage. But I mean, Com was six nine, two thirty five. That dude is is a big dude. Uh, so he's going to get some some easier, more forgiving uh, matchups and and frames to run into as this thing goes along. But uh, it, it's great to have his aggressiveness because it, it makes teams actually have to defend him. Now you'll still maybe run into some teams. I think you will that. Well, maybe stick the center on him, and uh, but then you can you can work that thing in, into trying to get a point guard, whoever he's guarding, into a switch, and uh, whether it's Marcus or Ty. But uh, that was encouraging, and Illinois just put an immense amount of pressure on the rim. Like for Ty to do that, for Marcus doing what he's doing, Quincy on the glass going to the basket, 
Uh, and then the cutting, I, I mentioned it again, like Quincy cutting, Justin cutting. Uh, and then like Luke has a nice offensive rebound and put back where Doug McDaniel's supposed to block him out. And that's obviously a, a mismatch. And they just, they just put so much pressure on Michigan where they, they couldn't, couldn't stop Illinois' aggressiveness and physicality around the bucket. Yeah, 13 offensive rebounds for Illinois. Crimson, 1999, super chat. Appreciate you, man. A little cash for the beer money jar. You guys have more than earned it. Uh, we got to send this to Wagner. He gets yeah. to a couple beers with uh, Scott Ritchie, the News Gazette, up at Ashley's, man. Uh, that's the, that's the sad part spot. of my going up there. We've had some good time uh, uh, up in Ann Arbor at Ashley's Bar. Um, I, I want to get to – uh, a guy we haven't seen in a while. We appreciate you, Crimson. Uh, we'll get some more questions here coming up. Uh, I want to get to a guy that they got to on the court tonight. But first, Derek, we got to bring this up. It's a tough time to be Juwan Howard. Um, his team's 7 11. They're at the bottom of the Big Ten standings now. They did get a win against Ohio State. The Fab Five showed up. Uh, the Fox broadcast tried to do their best to, to pump up Juwan Howard. Uh, you know, reading some of those guys, including Brennan Quinn of the Athletic, they think. He might have more time, but this is obviously trending in the wrong direction. But he has never trended in the right direction against Brad Underwood, given how good Michigan has been for the most part under Juwan Howard. To fall to 0-7 against Brad Underwood, why does Brad own Juwan? It's a great question. I'm going to write about it. So I'm going to try to give you some answers as far as that goes. Um, Think of the pros that have been in that program. Hunter Dickinson, no matter – I love him. I, I love everything about him for college basketball. I love that he's a villain uh, and embraces it uh, and doesn't seem phased by it. He seems to feed off it. So I just think he's great for college basketball. But he's a hell of a basketball player, no matter what you think of him. And they never beat Illinois. That's insane. No, absolutely. And I think that there is something to be said. Now, it would have been maybe more of a focal point tonight, like if Terrence Shannon is active, because one thing that – has contrasted between the two is some of the NBA draft decisions that have gone Brad's way versus the NBA draft decisions that have gone against Juwan, where he's had early exits that uh, guys like, you know, has anybody heard of heard from Musa Diabate in a while, or, you know, Jet Howard's now down uh, in the G league. I know that. And that was, that was documented in Brendan Quinn's piece is some of these NBA decisions, early entries. I mean, you can't blame like Kobe Bufkin and even Howard in that sense of, of being first round picks and, uh, getting that money that you get uh, as far as that goes. But Caleb Houston. Caleb Houston, yep, same thing. And for Brad during that stretch, I mean, for for a while, it, it was, you know, Illinois had Io and Michigan didn't. And obviously Kofi was a big part of that as well. And Kofi being able to own the matchup, which we saw play out, not only with Hunter, but you saw what Trace Jackson Davis looked like against Illinois when Kofi was no longer there. And obviously that was a different dynamic when Kofi was in the middle uh, but Kofi consistently won those matchups and for Io to do that as well. And then, of course, you get you get Terrence sticking around. But even uh, a guy like Coleman, who, who could have tried his luck and said, hey, I'm going to try to be a two way player in the NBA and, and go on. And that that's over an oversimplification just to say it's all, only about those. I think Brad's a good coach. I think that uh, Juwan, I'm not saying he's a, a bad coach. I think that he has had some issues with here recently, especially maybe some some teams you look at and especially in late game situations, they've really struggled and um, don't always look like the best coach team. So um, I think that it's been fun to to watch this thing play out. And I think Illinois fans should really appreciate the fact that Hunter Dickinson is never at a loss for words, except when he's talking about Illinois recently, going back to when you asked him about it. Cause he knows nothing good is going to come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he knows he can't, he can't, you know, Illinois beat him that many times and, 
Jeremy, as Bears fans, we know what it's like uh, when, a, when a rivalry is no longer even really a rivalry. You're just owned. And um, yeah. the Bears are owned by the Packers, and Juwan Howard is currently owned by Brad Underwood. Yeah, I was I was looking for this because we were chatting about this with uh, Trevor Valise yesterday, right, in, in our group chat about how Brad Underwood just has some of these streaks that are unbelievable. Um, Wisconsin. They've won five straight against Wisconsin. That's a team Illinois couldn't beat when Bo Ryan was there. Um, yeah. So here, let me let me pull this up real quick because I know Joey posted it earlier. Let's see, they're five and zero. I mean, against Minnesota, you'd expect five and zero against Nebraska, you'd expect, but five straight wins or seven straight wins now over Michigan. Five straight wins over Wisconsin. They're six and one against Northwestern. In their last seven, four and one against Iowa, which has been a great rivalry. Four and one. In their last five against Michigan State, their worst are Purdue one and four, Maryland one and four, Ohio State three and four. We always remember Penn State, of course, is a thorn in their side because they lost three straight last year. And Indiana has recently been a thorn in their side with losing three straight. But uh, that tells you how Brad Underwood's been against his peers. Pretty dang good. I mean, nobody's won more Big Ten games in the last five seasons. Yeah, I mean, John Beeline was one of those that was owning Illinois. Your guy, John Beeline. Uh, it was so tough uh, to go up against those teams. I mean, they just out-talented you, uh, number one. And then number two, B-Line was a heck of a coach. So uh, that was a really tough stretch for Illinois. Uh, Wisconsin, you hadn't beaten forever. So you, you had a number of these streaks with Brad and his his team had knocked over through the years. But, yeah, I mean, that, the Michigan one and Wisconsin to that point, ever since Io and going up there with the like the Jordan recreation, the pull-up, it's they haven't been able to beat them since. Is that still your most memorable IO buzzer beater or IO clutch shot? I mean, Wisconsin was big, but yeah, that Michigan one just because that felt like the birth of IO, like the legend of IO was there that game. Yeah, the Xavier Simpson one at Michigan was pretty special, but the Cole Center kill was um, was a huge turning point. Like they had just gotten smacked at Michigan State, and they had losses to Miami earlier in the non-conference that at home and. Arizona blowout, and I think they, of course, probably lost bragging rights because I've never won one of those. So there was a lot of questions of, like, is this thing getting turned around? And to end a 15-game losing streak against Wisconsin, although I, we talked about this on the radio this week, I, I kind of had to remind myself that that shot by Iowa against Wisconsin wasn't the end because Kobe King had some ridiculous night, too. He goes down and hits a three. You had to, like, make three throws and get a stop to make sure you win. It was like with 40-something uh, seconds left, right? I think so. Something like that. It was under a yeah. minute. During the COVID year, there was one against Northwestern, too. Uh, yeah. It was like with 30 seconds left, but it was just a killer three. Yeah. The the Simpson one, though, I think there was like 0.5 left. Yeah. That was ridiculous. So like that was a straight up. The, the game the defenders in the Big Ten at their yeah. place. Just the LeBron pump ups. Richard, thank you, man. Uh, $20 super chat. Didn't get to watch this game and only got to listen to part of it, but it looked like online the first half was similar to Maryland. No. I'll be in attendance for the home game against Michigan. Come say, hey, Richard, we'll have to uh, chat you up. Um, yeah, like, this was a great start. Like, it has not been an issue coming out of games for this team. Like, it is a very inverse of, of last year, Derek. This team comes out uh, really well. I'll bring it up now. Like, I thought if Illinois ended up dropping this game, like, we'd go back and talk about Nico Moretti coming into the game because it, it was a struggle there. 
when he came in. They were attacking him as we expected um, when he was on defense, and and he gave up some points there. And they just looked uncomfortable with Doug McDaniel really getting in his grill. So that's a tough place for Nico Moretti. I give him a lot of credit, scored a bucket, uh, settled in a little bit, but that was a big stretch where Michigan got back into this game. So if that didn't go well, like that would have been a huge question for for Brad Underwood. Uh, but what did you make of the the Nico minutes and, and Nico getting on the court? Didn't love it, uh, admittedly. Uh, Doug McDaniel gets his first basket of the game on him and, and starts to get a little bit of momentum. And, yeah, he, he just – offensively, I thought that he maybe got away with what was close to being a backcourt violation. I don't want to rag on him too much. I mean, he's playing yeah. his first Big Ten game. and a Tough spot just, to put the kid in, right? Yeah, really it's tough spot to go in. game. Yes. First Big Ten game, first high major competition that he's faced. Now it wasn't. Now it wasn't a great. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, Derek. It wasn't a great crowd, so it, it wasn't like the most intense environment. Speaking of bad things for Juwan, I mean that's a team that won the Big Ten asterisk three years ago. Uh, also went to an Elite Eight just a couple years ago, and there were nobody there. I heard the, you know, Joey said that the weather wasn't great, but still. But the crush made it. The crush made it. <laughs> They're louder than anybody. I heard the ILL chance. Shout out to the crush for making that trip, man. Yeah, yeah, no doubt for that. But yeah, I mean, it's something he'll be able to to learn from defensively. Though you can see, I mean, Doug is arguably the quickest guard in the Big Ten. So I, I think he's a d- different level of challenge for a guy. And Nico, who's not the most athletic, uh, there'll be guys who are stronger than him that I think will try to maybe approach him a little bit different way of kind of give him a shoulder and, and try to knock him off his spot, but. Uh, offensively, he's talented. I, I think it will take some time for him to really settle in and then allow him to see the floor well and, and be able to to operate as far as that goes. I, I was surprised by how many minutes he got. I know we were talking about that. It was like six, was it six consecutive? Yeah. So um, I don't know. I agreed with you. I I didn't love it. Uh, we were uh, messaging back and forth about it, but um, they were able to to withstand that. I think to Richard's point, like. The hot start offensively. The thing about this this game that was different than Maryland, although you did let a what looked like a cushion early, then subsides. Obviously, you had the not a very good end of the half, or then it's a one point lead after fouling the three point shooter. Uh, Llewellyn doesn't make the free throw to make it a four point play, but uh, offensively, Illinois didn't really like falter as they did against Maryland. It was kind of like hitting a brick wall in the middle of that first half, and then on through the rest of the half. Uh, and this one, I mean, they're their numbers offensively were were just fine. They were shooting 50% from the field. They uh, Points per possession, 1.2 and over. So it was really defensively not getting enough stops. Yeah. Too many points in the paint, too many offensive rebounds. Uh, but, yeah, I, I get it as far as, like, looking like you're in control and then letting that other team back in. Yeah, I thought it was defensively. Um, but Terrace Reed and Olivia Conway are, are really good players. I, I thought – Michigan was taking some of the shots that that Illinois wanted midway through, and then at the end of the half, Illinois was giving up some some easy ones at the rim. Uh, I, I want to ask you a question about Underwood, then we'll get to some more of these questions and look ahead to, to Rutgers, Derek, because uh, the, this got to go a little bit more, but uh, I just have a thought about Brad Underwood that we need to get to uh, at some point, and uh, why not start it right now? But first, let's hear from uh, one of our great sponsors. Episode of the Alana Inquirer podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. What are some things you want to keep the same about yourself or your life in 2024? Where are you already crushing it? Think opposite of New Year, New You. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right. 
Maybe you finally organize one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you want to actually eat breakfast too. Therapy helps you find your strengths so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash all right, Derek, um, we do got to talk about Sincere Harris making his first impact on a game this year. Which doesn't burn the red shirt, does it? I don't think so. It doesn't get credit for the foul. Um, I mean, it felt like after that 10-0 run, it's like, oh, no, is this going to be the moment Sincere Harris celebrating, doing the dance on the, on the baseline? I mean, he pushed it a little bit out there, but come on. Let's, let's, give, let's give a warning. Like I, I agree, Bardo was all over that. So kudos to Bardo for that. Like, let's give him a warning first. Let's have a He's on the baseline. He's not in the on the court in play either. So I, yeah, warning. Uh, ball doesn't fib because um, they missed the free throw. <laughs> Mari Burnett, good shooter, uh, misses the free throw. But uh, Brett Underwood, what's he gonna? He's never won Big Ten Coach of the Year. What would he have to do to win it this year, Derek? Because this is a year that I think he has a – if they do certain things um, and say Purdue wins the Big Ten, like if they finish second in the Big Ten, a win or two behind Purdue, is that good enough? Like if Greg Gard wins the Big Ten, if Wisconsin wins the Big Ten, I think it's going to be hard for him. Is that the path? Is it is it finishing second or winning the Big Ten? Is is that a Brad Underwood coach of the year finally? Yeah, I would think so. A lot of it is usually relative to expectation, unless there's just some incredibly outstanding performance by a team, even if they are picked towards the top of the league, that uh, they would win it. But uh, I think that, yeah, if it's Wisconsin because they weren't forecasted to be within the top three and they, they win the league, then it's going to be hard to top that. But uh, if it is Purdue, a team that was obviously preseason number one and uh, the position they were in, uh, you, you kind of got to go relative to expectations and, and also factor in, you know, if Terrence doesn't come back and Illinois is able to weather that storm, that's going to be even another layer as far as an argument for, for Brad Underwood. So I think that narrative is strong. Like I, I yeah. think if they finish just a game or two behind Purdue for second or something, uh, I, I think that narrative is really strong to keep a team together despite that, to, to no doubt make an NCAA tournament, to make a run, be a Big Ten contender. Um, I think that could be the case. I, th- I think for Painter to win, like they would need to win the league by a couple games and yeah. go like 17 and three, which is possible still for them. I know they got a couple losses, but they're a freight train. Um, but I, I just think it, he's got a real chance. It, it's pretty amazing he hasn't won given the last four years that they've had. The other guys have been deserving, but I, I don't know if anyone out Chris Collins, they would have to finish top four. I think Fred Hoiberg, I don't think they're going to win enough games to do that. Um, ben Johnson would have to win like nine or 10 games. I don't see that happening for Minnesota, even though they're playing hard. Um, and then Chris Holtman's really struggling again in Ohio State. So I think it's going to be guard, painter, or Brad, unless Northwestern goes on some ridiculous run here. Um, so he's going to be a, a contender here. It is crazy that the guy with the most wins over the last 
four right. plus years and the Big Ten doesn't have one yet. So Juwan would have won it the year that they they didn't share it. Uh, the year that Illinois did share it with, was with Wisconsin, I'd imagine that Greg Gard won it that year. Yep. And that was pretty improbable, just the emergence of Johnny Davis and, and that whole thing. So and Gard won it in 1920 when Illinois, you know, obviously would have made the tournament because uh, they won the league that year. That was a three-way tie. Yeah, Maryland, Michigan State, and Wisconsin all at the top of the league that season. Wisconsin was projected to finish fifth, right? Because that's what yeah, they were projected. Of and then uh, last year, Peter last year, right? No, it was Chris Collins. Oh, okay. Which he deserved it. It's pretty amazing. Painter hasn't won it since nineteen, given the run wow. that uh, Purdue. I think Painter's right behind Brad Underwood for most wins in the Big Ten during the last five years. So yeah. Number one bad. and number two, right there. When you when you have expectations, I always kind of hated that. Like, why didn't Bill Belichick win more Coach of the Year awards, or you know Harbaugh in the Big Ten the last couple of years? I've kind of been like, yeah, he should probably win a couple more of these, but it's usually based on expectations. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I think that even if Terrence were to to come back, which I know people were, we don't probably don't have enough to to add there uh, in in terms of he's got the preliminary hearing. What's that? Uh, February 23rd now. So yeah, which which means unless there's big news out of that, which I mean, you can always the whole point of that's going to be do the cops have enough probable cause to arrest him in the first place? And it sounds like his uh lawyers want that to be a longer day. So uh, it sounds like it's gonna be a more eventful preliminary hearing, but that's not till February. So any legal resolution is five weeks away. Uh, and that's a best case scenario. If they go to trial, that's after the season, right? Um, the TRO. It's been a week. Hasn't been an expedient decision, uh, as the judge said they were going to have. Maybe it isn't the law, but in a season. Uh, and I just have my doubts of, of whether they'll get that. So, um, yeah, I just, I just don't think this team, and they went to that court case maybe hoping, having hope that he would be eligible right away. I just don't think they can set themselves up to think he's coming back. Uh, right. Whether he does or not, that's got to play out. But Brad had kind of mentioned a little, a little nugget there that – um, last Friday before the Maryland game, when his teammates went to the, the courthouse, it was a disjointed day. And maybe that was part of the reason. I'm sure they were hopeful that day. And I'm, I'm sure that was was crushing a little bit to know that, hey, this is this is going to take longer than we expected. Maybe it doesn't happen. I'm, I'm sure Brad's not going to address it with us, um, but I'm sure they've had to have some of those conversations. Like, we can't count on that. Um, and they came out tonight um, looking like a team that, Hey, we we can still be really good even if he doesn't come back. Our guy. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, the fact that they are a, a together group, motivated, mature, and still very talented, and, and the way they're operating right now, I we I I thought about it in terms of the way I don't know what the updated Ken Palm looks like or if those have been computed, but the fact they come in tonight, they're tenth in the country in offensive efficiency, they're thirty first in defense. I would. have – said that's at least flipped. I would have never thought a team without Terrence would be operating in that realm offensively. They are now 10th in offense efficiency, 27th in defense, 11th overall. Okay. And so what they're doing on the offensive side of the ball without a first-team All-American, a dynamite transition guy, obviously can get to the rim, can was shooting the three at a high clip. Uh, that's That's been super impressive. Defensively, there, there's been some – some moments. Uh, Jameer Young had his way, and and I, there's still some things that they can clean up uh, in terms of defensive rebounding, handling some of these bigs inside, and making sure you're consistently stopping these these guards in, in the league. But uh, se second half was really really encouraging. So uh, 
losing a, a first team All American, if he doesn't come back, should be a huge, huge case for Brad uh, to win this award. If he is, especially within the top two in the league, obviously if he wins it, I think it's a no brainer. Um, but yeah. if he is second to Purdue, I think that, like we were talking about, unless Purdue just blows everybody out of the water, that uh, Brad's pretty deserving of that. Uh, Illinois, according to Bart Torvik, since Terrence Shannon's suspension, of course they're four and two, number three offensive efficiency in the country, mm-hmm. number ninety defensively. So they have felt Shannon's de- uh, suspension more on the defensive end. They've yep. got better on the offensive end. That's interesting. That's insane. That's insane. Three in the country offensively is, is crazy. Yeah, ninetieth. You gotta you gotta pick that up um, for sure. I mean, Michigan is they got some. Some talented offensive pieces. That's kind of the way that they're they're structured. They've been mm-hmm. um, going to you know on the season they were the worst Big Ten team on the defensive end. Of course, McDaniel, Kamwa, they got some offensive weapons. Williams didn't hurt you tonight. I think he's maybe the most improved shooter in the Big Ten. Didn't show it tonight. So um, you know, Michigan, the, the idea you were going to hold them to to fifty five and then not score probably was unrealistic. Although the team you play on Sunday maybe you can do that because they. Uh, they stink offensively. What a segue. You're like a true <laughs> guy, Derek. Rutgers, you got to beat the crap out of this team. I'm sorry. You're at home. I love Steve Peichel and what he's done with that program. This offense is atrocious. Now, I had fun last night watching that atrocious win over Nebraska, and they got the win. Kudos to, to Rutgers, 87 to 82, and, and they went kind of on a scoring frenzy there uh, in overtime. Rutgers' offense is is so bad. Um, they play hard. They're going to defend. They're not as good as they were the last couple of years because Caleb McConnell isn't there, Paul McKay isn't there, uh, and and it can get really ugly offensively. I think Derek Simpson can po- pose some problems, all of that. But this is where I, I want to see this defense clamp down. As we were talking about, like the defense has kind of been an issue um, the last couple of games. Uh, Rutgers does defend, but you're just such a better offensive team that Illinois on Kempom is a 14 point favorite. This is, this is one you got to take care of business, come home, take care of business. And now this is time to separate Derek, separate from the middle of the pack, which is very big in the big 10, keep pace with Wisconsin and Purdue, which those are by far the best three teams uh, in the big 10 right now, because you got Rutgers, then Indiana uh, or Northwestern on the road, Indiana at home, Ohio State, which is struggling on the road, Nebraska at home. If you can get four of these next five, like you're starting to separate. Absolutely. Yeah, and really with the Rutgers game, as long as Amori doesn't kill you inside, I don't see any reason why you should lose that game. And Coleman did a pretty good job on him in that first matchup. Uh, felt like he was able to make Cliff settle for some of those you know, seven to ten foot hook shots. That's really not his strength. He wants to live at the basket where he's obviously a powerful finisher. Uh, so if without him being able to have a probably a 20 point night or maybe even you know better, uh, I don't know that they're going to give Illinois enough offensive firepower if Illinois plays up to the capabilities. Now, they, could they get punked on the glass and maybe just not bring it? Then, yeah, I mean, that's that's the league that you're in. You, you don't show up and, and anyone can beat you. But, yeah, their guard play leaves, leaves a lot to be desired um, coming off, you know, having Mulcahy last year, McConnell. They're small. Uh, Besides Cliff, yeah. they are a small team. Fernandes and um, Simpson in the backcourt. Um, Hyatt, you know, he's a hard-playing, strong, older guy as a wing, but it's not that offensively skilled. 
Domask and Rogers have huge, um, huge matchup advantages against this team. I mean, booty ball should, should reign supreme here and goody should get open looks. You know what I mean? Like booty ball should work against this team. hundred percent. Yeah. And really you look back at the game at the rack, it was outside of Rutgers kind of pressing you and turning you over deep in the backcourt. They, they didn't do a whole lot to you to bother you um, with your offense. And that gave Rutgers some, some run out opportunities, but similar to what we're talking about, they kind of, through the first couple of punches there, that being Illinois, uh, which has been a good trend. It's been a quite a turnaround this year versus last year. Is just the, the way they come out of games, save for Purdue on the road. But that's that is the number one team in the country, and maybe the toughest building in the country right now. But they did that, and and then they were able to cruise in the second half. And especially on your home court, you should be able yeah. to do that. Any Big Ten game, you got to get up for right. Uh, but but on paper, there's just such a huge advantage. Uh, I got I got to put this out there. Dom, Brad, I apologize. I've been critical of Brad, but he's doing a great job this year. I got to give it up to him. This is like a big moment. Dom and winning seasons has come on here and railed against Brad Underwood. So, man, he must be doing something right, Derek. Seven's a lucky number. Seven and zero against Juwan, and that that uh, allowed him to see see the beauty in what Brad's doing. And I look, it's not that Brad is infallible or anything like that. Infallible. Right. Um, if I'm using the right word, but uh, yeah, no, I mean the fact that they've been on this streak uh, over the last handful of years and the, the winning streaks, like you said, against some of these teams and to do what they're doing without Terrence. I mean, I, I think that says a lot. Um, and then just to be adaptable, like the way they've changed their schemes uh, this year, it's really worked. Last year, didn't. You're changing what you're doing in the middle of the season last year for a reason. This year, what they're doing is, is really working. This is a golden era of Illinois basketball in Big Ten play. Right? Yes. In Big Ten, this is just one of the best runs in Illinois history, up there with Self and Weber during that era, up there with Lou Henson in the late 80s. What they're doing in the Big Ten is, is a golden era. He just needs to win in the tournament. And then he will be thought of as like Lou. Like Lou had the one run, I guess two runs in Elite Eight in the Final Four. Um, if, if Brad can get one of those, and it'd be pretty amazing if, if the story is this team. Because this team is capable. The one thing I we could talk about with Coleman, like the matchups against you know some of these bigger lumbering bigs, yeah, they can they can score on him. But once they get to the tournament, man, like this team is is big, athletic, um, old which is which is really really important and while it's not deep derek the six the top six or seven are pretty dang good yeah for sure and, and sometimes it's been those stretch it out big men that have given some of the mm -hmm. the older school big 10 teams those problems in the tournament so coleman could present that to just about anybody uh his defensive versatility and, and i i've said since they put this pairing together. I think Quincy's physicality and rebounding complements Coleman really well. I like the way that's working. Cut. And yeah, the cutting is is outstanding. And with the way that they're able to to use Damascus like the offensive hub and it's limited some of the the point guard concerns. I'm not saying that it won't pop up at some point. Right. Uh, again, if you get a team that's athletic enough defensively, I think even against Maryland, you wondered, you know, how come the mask is maybe the only guy that can really create something off the bounce and outside of that. But you can pick holes in a lot of teams in college basketball right now. This team could definitely go on a run 
obviously goes to another level if Terrence were to come back. Um, and I get why there's a lot of angst on that front because you're saying, look at the way they're playing now. If you put a first-team All-American guy back in, they could go Final Four and whatnot. But uh, even without him, this team could be the one that, that goes on that run that breaks through for the people that might be on the fence or just might be waiting to see more uh, from Brad. And yeah, that, that's really the missing piece, like you said. And if they made the the second weekend, this would be one of the most beloved teams. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. maybe not the greatest team, but, uh, you know, the ones with, what was it, the late 90s uh, when they made a surprise run, Kevin Turner on that team. Um, yeah, that, Chris Gandy, that team I know Lante always loves. Uh, oh, and tournament run. Or they won the Big Ten. They yeah. won the Big Ten a year. They weren't really thought to be uh, a real contender that year for sure. Philip, in a weird way, Sincere Harris' technical follow gives me confidence that he will be at Illinois. Long term, listen. Like he say, like he seems to be doing the right things. Yeah. Whether he remains at Illinois probably has a lot to do with what they had in the transfer portal uh, in, in the off season. But he does seem like he's serious about this redshirt year, about getting better, and he still looks like he's being a great teammate. So kudos to Sincere Harris. Agree on all fronts. Yeah, I, I need to do a story, and we've been uh, Joey and I have been asking in, in the last few availabilities each person's perspective on what they're seeing from sincere a lot of positive reviews um so i, I needed to put that thing together but uh it sounds like that he's really been a guy that's impressed and even showing sign. i know uh there's some austin hutcherson syndrome you gotta be able to factor in here when he's on the practice team and and whatnot the scout team but um that you know, Sincere's growing his game, but at the very least, I mean, a guy that is bringing it every day in practice. He's involved in the games emotionally and whatnot. And if it was a guy that had a foot out the door, obviously he could be wearing a different, yeah. different look, different emotional state. Um, so, yeah, I, I give credit to him, and could be a, a nice benefit for Illinois. And really, the fact that they're able to with a short bench and not sitting here saying, "Sincere, will you please pull the red shirt? We we need you to go where we want to go this year." Um, is is good on Illinois for making it work in the meantime. Yeah, Bennett, do you think Underwood got Moretti minutes tonight just to see how he'd fare, or will he be a viable option off the bench? I think he wants to play him. I think that was his idea as it was building pre-injury. Like, okay, here's a guy who brings a little bit something different, can up the pace. I know that Brad probably is looking at without Terrence, they probably haven't got enough going in transition enough quick hitting offense. Uh, and then it's, it's just another playmaker that can get where he wants to go off the dribble. I, I don't know that at Michigan, when you're coming off a loss is like, let's just get in the minutes. And then we'll, if we're down and we got to come back, that we'll be fine with that. I, I don't think he'd play him like that if he didn't think he'd help, but I was surprised to see him before Justin Harmon, even though Justin struggled against Maryland quite a bit. Um, so I, I'd imagine they expect him to help, but still remains to be seen how much that's going to play out that way, especially on defense. All right, Derek, before we get out of here and we appreciate all you guys, 600 people hit the like button, subscribe. We appreciate you guys hit the notifications bell uh, on the YouTube channel. Appreciate you spending your late night here with us after an Illini victory. Illinois is hoping for a win Sunday, of course, but also on Monday, Derek as a big time priority recruit, Jeremiah fears, 
uh, out of Joliet, now playing at Compass Prep in Arizona, one of the top prep programs in the country, is making his decision. Top 50 guard uh, on 24-7 sports and on the composite. He's number 31. Six foot three, a scorer, and uh, he's got a big decision to make. He will not be taking an official visit to Michigan because will Juwan Howard be there is probably an unknown for, for Jeremiah Fears, but Illinois has made him a priority for a long time. Know his brother, Jeremy. Uh, went to Michigan State. Hope he's healing up uh, after that terrible shooting up in his hometown. But Derek, how does Illinois feel here going into the home stretch for Jeremiah Fears? I think it should be said on the forefront is like the fact that they're in the mix this deep, close to decision time is on the heels of how it ended with with Jeremy uh, in the recruitment and that Illinois backed away and didn't end up it, it pretty much was on a fast track to him committing to Illinois and he was then going to help try to co- convince Kylan Boswell to come and that whole deal and it, it fell apart uh, Illinois had some questions about a shooting and and really just that they went their separate ways uh, so I personally assumed and I think even people around the program assumed that that was going to be something that maybe they couldn't come back from so uh, but there was enough uh, that the Fierce family liked about the cell they were giving to Jeremy to then apply to Jeremiah in terms of the home state, in terms of you know what Iowa was able to do on that platform and, and go in there. And uh, it, it just can mean something different for somebody that really wants to to put on that Illinois uniform that's from Illinois, that uh, the NIL potential for a, a hometown guy uh, as far as that goes. And Illinois had a, a nice string of guards uh, through the years. And now that they're, the player development something they can sell too. There's, there's, you can't, you don't just say, you know, well, uh, Darren Williams played here. Uh, D Brown played here. You actually can say, you know, hey, we helped develop and get out of the NBA. And Terrence should be one of those guys. And Trent Frazier, where we had him as a freshman until the end of his career. Uh, obviously, Coleman is another guy. I know it's a different position, but uh, Jeff Alexander has been really um, persistent with this. He's done a really good job. Uh, Brad and, and him have seen Jeremiah a lot, both during the the summer circuit, EYBL, which Jeremiah was playing up with Brad B. Lee. I liked what it showed, uh, playing it up an age group. Uh, kind of a slower start in the spring, but late spring into the summer, I, I think his, his playmaking's grown. I think uh, his ability to to make plays in the ball and, and see the floor is, has developed for him, a guy that was pretty much known as a scorer uh, coming up. Um, but he's really, really gifted offensively. He's got a lot in his skill set. He's got a lot of upside as he gets stronger, as he – uh, continues to work on shooting the three a little bit more consistently. Uh, but I, I think Illinois should feel pretty good. I'm going to have more on that in the coming days. So you, I don't want to give you everything I got uh, as far as that goes. Illini Inquirer is going to be the spot for that. But, uh, yeah, Monday a decision. Michigan not being really firmly in the mix down the stretch is is a good thing for Illinois. And um, you know, Probably just already has a guard that, that plays like him. Yeah. Jade Nepps. That's <laughs> yeah, true. True. Actually, he's at Georgetown. He's oh, no, for, no, that's uh, not bad. I, that, I was thinking Ed Cooley. Ed Cooley. No, thank, yeah. thank you for correcting me. That was a, that yeah. was a good for me. But Providence is in the mix uh, as well. So uh be interesting. Uh, Jeremiah Fears making a big decision. I asked you if this is a good comp because I, I saw him play when he was like a freshman in high school, and I go, this kid grew up watching Steph Curry. Uh, just oh, just yeah. he is the Steph Curry generation. Needs to become more efficient with his shot. I'm not saying he's a Steph Curry shooter quite yet, but just has unlimited range, unlimited confidence, can really create off the bounce, handle, create his own shot. Uh, and I asked you, is Tyson Walker a, a good comp for what Jeremiah Fears could be? A little smaller, but boy, 
I can just get a bucket, more of a two combo guard. Uh, but what I like about that is Tyson Walker's, what I love with Tyson Walker's, AJ Hogard's a perfect compliment to him. And Jace Butler in the class of 2024 is a perfect compliment to um, Jeremiah Fears in the class of 2025 because Butler's this big guard who can play the booty ball, can match up against bigger guards defensively. That'd be a heck of a combo. I, I, I like that. Like those compliments, we know how good they can be up front with Merez Johnson, Amani Hansberry, potentially Jason Jackstis is, is a stretch guy down the stretch. Um, so if you add him to that, all of a sudden now you just need to add those big athletic wings and, and shooters, Derek. No doubt. No, and I like that comp in terms of having the strength of, of Jace and his ability to match up even – with some, you might wonder athletically. I think there's been some questions. Uh, and I, admittedly, I haven't seen Jace a lot in person. Um, seen his highlights and, and seen some of his game stuff. But uh, one of the things when Illinois was pushing for, towards a commitment, people wondered: Is he athletic enough to guard point guards? Well, you know, Jeremiah could slide onto the point, and Jace with his size can guard some some bigger off guards and whatnot. And uh, they just complement each other's offensive games. Uh, both can shoot it from the outside, which is good. Uh, both, I, I, as I spoke to with Jeremiah, and uh, they love Jace's basketball IQ, the way he sees the floor, the way he operates in pick and rolls. And you can never have enough guys that can get a shot, can get to a spot and break down a defense. And uh, just the the pure scoring ability of Jeremiah, the fact that Jace might be more of a, of a pass first uh, and then also have the ability to just kind of be that that really savvy old man game type of point guard. Uh, they can they can also shoot it too. And he's having a really big senior season too. I think that that evaluation is is maturing very, very nicely for Illinois as far as Jace goes. Of course, yeah. you've got Merez coming in next year and hope Jackson is able to develop uh, a guy that has upside if he can add strength and brings that skill set uh, as a guy with, with pretty good length as well. So um, that would be a nice – piece around for the future if you can keep dgl if you can keep uh keep amani around uh, then of course you'll go to the portal and 25 could be a one of the a larger class i'm not going to say it's going to be like a six-man class but i think there's more willingness to add in 25 and uh, they position themselves for a, a handful of guys at this point to, to be in the mix and i think this could be maybe more of an eventful pursuit than what it was in in 24. Yeah, and uh, I see people. TB says it's it's impossible to predict um, the roster moving forward, but yeah, we got to go off with what we can go off of. And and if they, it's almost we always got to say if these guys stick around, just like you did with some of them. But I do like the idea of Butler and and Fears together. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Fears twenty twenty five, right? Like he's been talked about right. as yeah. class five, but I think it'd be much better for him in twenty twenty five. For sure. Yeah. And it just, it helps to align expectations. It helps to, for a guy, I mean, we're already talking about it, guys who are in their, their right class, you know, their original class, like DGL and Amani, you come in and you have vets on the team and you're playing on a really good team. You're not getting the minutes you want. Then naturally there are questions um, about, you know, where's their mindset at? Are they sticking it out long-term? And it just, Jeremiah, in terms of the reps that he could get, now would you love to have him with Fletch uh, for that that year sooner? Sure. And, and yes, it's a guy that's not planning to be in college for four years. So I don't think you're worried about if you bring him in on a reclass, hey, you know, 
you you have him his freshman year versus his senior year further down the road. I, I don't think you're really thinking about that, but it's more about just kind of class balance. Uh, it, you know, if you get DGL back, which of course you're hoping to, and nothing alarming in terms of that as it stands right now, DGL with, with Jace and of course, yeah, they're going to go in the portal. Uh, they're going to need to for a lot of, a lot of needs after this season, but uh, let Jeremiah continue to develop, give him another season of, of AAU uh, playing high level UIBL and, and go out there and just uh, go on the normal cycle and not rush anything. I think that's, a, that's a big thing with guys sometimes is, uh, and it's not just to one player. It's just kind of maybe the mindset of, of trying to get to the destination uh, of the league so fast that uh, maybe you just got to – some patience can pay off for some people uh, and kind of tie it full circle. Uh, Coleman Hawkins is a great guy that uh, patience is paying off. Look at you. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> it's tying, this, tying this all together. Uh, great stuff, Derek Piper. Thank you to all of the more than 600 people at one point, still 500 and almost an hour into this thing. We appreciate you guys. Thanks for all the support. Uh, those super chats were fantastic. But uh, hit the like button on the way out. Subscribe to us. Hit the notifications bell. Uh, and if you're listening on the podcast, we appreciate you guys. Give us a follow, rating, review, wherever you get your podcasts. I will have player grades later today. Uh, I think most people agree with them this time. Uh, there's always some argument about all of them, but I don't think there's going to be any after this one. Uh, Derek's going to write about Underwood owning Juwan. People are going to love that one. And uh, Joey is in Ann Arbor writing about the man of the night, Coleman Hawkins. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening, watching, wherever you get it. Uh, we'll get plenty coming up at Alana Inquirer. Have a great night, and we'll talk to you next time right here on the Alana Inquirer podcast.